This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Allow yourself to be human. Um, if, if you're in a dark place, it's okay to be there. Just don't stay there. Feel it. Feel, deal, heal. Um, find some coping skills, talk to somebody, reach out, ask for help. Just don't stay there. You don't have to stay there by yourself. Welcome to the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. I am your host, Ryan McGuire. This is a podcast where I get to talk with people from all over the world who have a story to share and knowledge in areas that we can learn from and apply it to our lives and make us better and happier people. Unfortunately, there are millions of people who are or know someone suffering from a mental health disorder, whether it be depression, anxiety, grief, trauma, just to name a few, which is allowing them to find their happiness. I am so happy that I got to sit down with clinical therapist and owner of Empowering You Therapy, Holly Essler. I would like to mention she's located in Tempe, Arizona, so she's licensed in the state of Arizona and also North Dakota. If you do not live in either of these states, she gives some great advice on how to find a therapist that's right for you in your area. This is a topic I not only wanted to cover but needed to be enlightened, as a lot of us do with what exactly mental health is, how many of us suffer from these issues, and how we can understand the warning signs in order to begin coping and dealing with the disorder. I obviously would love for my listeners to listen to each episode start to finish, but I can't stress enough how important that may be for this episode. We really uncover a lot when it comes to mental health, especially depression, anxiety, how COVID has amplified everything, Uh, Social media has played a part in this and that the stigma of talking about mental health needs to be eliminated. Holly gives incredible advice for dealing with these situations either for yourself or what to do if someone you know and love is dealing with any of these scenarios including suicidal thoughts. We get incredibly deep in this episode and I'm happy we did because Holly really has the ability to touch and help a lot of lives with her knowledge. If you are dealing with a mental health issue, just know you're not alone, and it's okay to reach out for help. You might be surprised at how many people are actually dealing with these issues just in America alone. Holly was such an amazing guest, and you're about to find out why. On this episode of the Pursuit of Happiness podcast, uh, we have Holly Essler, a clinical therapist and owner of Empowering You Therapy, located in Arizona, sunny Arizona, hot Arizona. Um, we are going to cover mental health today, which is a very, I guess you can say, hot topic, um, something we should all kind of know about. And correct me if I'm wrong, we, we might all know somebody that has kind of maybe some realm of a mental health disorder, like anxiety or depression. And we're going to talk about that. Um, but first of all, thank you for, for joining me on this podcast. 
Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, this is, um, like I said, this is a really important subject. And I feel like it's something that I personally don't know a lot about. I think we all hear the magic words uh, when you turn on the news or, you know, therapy and psychiatrist and, you know, you pop a pill and people think they get better. But we're going to uncover that a little bit. And I'm super excited to have you. I feel like this is a, a very important episode for people to listen to. Um, so let's, let's just get into kind of who you are, what you're doing right now, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. So again, thank you for having me. And um, so, you know, what I am, I'm a clinical therapist based here in Arizona. Um, Empowering You Therapy is the name of my practice. Um, currently, you know, we treat clients of, you know, all ages. Generally, it's, you know, adolescents on up. Um, so about that 13-year-old age range um, and up um, in depression, trauma, PTSD, anxiety, um, you know, life issues, grief concerns, we cover kind of the whole gamut of it. So it's myself um, that is the founder. And then I also hired on two other clinicians this year to help me out with just the caseload of, you know, we've really expanded and just been able to reach more people here in the area. Um, so for myself, I'm licensed in Arizona and also North Dakota. So I do some um, online therapy for those back home in North Dakota. Um, so as far as just a little bit about, you know, myself and how I kind of got into this is kind of a, a the biggest question I get, you know, it, it wasn't something where, you know, I was like a, a kid and I thought I want to be a therapist. <laughs> it, it necessarily wasn't the case. Um, right. I'm not sure if I knew what that quite was even at a very young age, but I knew I wanted to help. I just didn't know in what capacity. Um, so it wasn't until I would say like, you know, getting into my bachelor's level degree, I was in social work and for my internship, you know, I was working in a hospital. I was a case manager and I just saw so many people with, I mean, concerns and issues and, and being that person that had to really coordinate their cares, you, you got to know them. So it was almost as part of like, how can I help on a deeper level without just doing A, B, and C and then sending you on your way? It just mm -hmm. didn't feel right. So I worked, um, I worked there for a couple of years and then I actually went back to school um, because I was working also as a treatment foster care case manager. So really tough field to, to be in. It pulled at my heartstrings, but I was working again with um, kids primarily. And I felt like I, again, wanted to help on a deeper level. One, I didn't know how to, it wasn't my place, but a lot of the coordination of care was taking them to their therapy appointments or, you know, kind of helping them through a problem because a lot of them, you know, had a fairly traumatic childhood. So that's kind of what drew me into, I, I see the wheels turning and I want to understand and help. I just don't know how. So that's kind of what prompted me to go into clinical therapy. Um, and I've been doing that since 2012. Wow. And to see that in kids is obviously a little extra difficult. Like just out of curiosity, like I've seen a therapist before. I think it's a great thing. Um, you don't have to get into this if you don't want, but how does like a therapist, like, do you bring that stuff home with you? Like, that's gotta be tough to hear a lot of these stories and not let it affect you, you know? Yeah, it, it is. You know, I, I have a saying too, you know, you're, you're a human first and then you're a therapist second. So I think part of that too is really taking care of yourself and making sure that 
you know, am I in a good space? Or, you know, if it is something that, um, you know, you feel triggered by a situation or a specific client, you know, part of that is, is, is reaching out and seeking consultation. Mm -hmm. So it's helpful to be a part of a consultation group with other therapists that can maybe help you out if you're feeling stuck in that situation. Um, but definitely I would say part of that. And in my early years, it, it, it was really tough. I mean, I'd be up, you know, sleepless nights, like, you know, worrying about somebody or, or diving into like a comment or something like that and thinking, should have I done this approach? Should have I done that? So it, it, it takes a lot, you know, over, over the years, but mm -hmm. even now I, I kind of have this rule for myself of like just having a decompression time to where it's like, I'm going to give these feelings and stuff some space, but I'm not going to allow them to completely take over things. So it's actually my commute from work to back home, which is about 20 to 30 minutes, depending on traffic. And I kind of use that time, whether it's, I'm going to listen to a podcast or mm -hmm. I'm going to throw on some music, but kind of have that be that time to where whatever needs to come out can come out. But then when I come home to my family, I'm going to try and be as present as possible. Um, but that's a feat in itself because being also a business owner, I have so many other hats that I wear too, that I just, I, you know, have to take care of some things outside of the. No kidding. Yeah. Being a business owner and honestly, it takes like a special person to do what you do and to separate when you go home from trying to help people throughout the day and the stories that you hear, I'm sure you hear some, probably some incredible, you know, kind of crazy stories and, yeah. Good for you. Like uh, it's, I'm, I'm happy to have, like I said, I'm happy to have you. We need more people like you. And uh, something we'll get to down the road is kind of like removing the whole stigma of actually talking about this. Yeah. That's a problem in itself. That's a big problem in itself. Um, so we'll, we'll get to that down the road here. And so we're recording this in a time of COVID. Um, so I want to make this relevant, you know, post COVID too, which is hopefully sooner than later, but what are you seeing in terms of COVID? Like, are you seeing an uptick in cases now with the pandemic going on? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's people reaching out because, uh, I mean, the stressors are on such a different level. And what I've found is, you know, the, the general coping skills that maybe we would go to aren't there, whether that's socially or, um, just being able to go out and about financially, you know, things are tough and, you know, parents too. I mean, how, how do we get away when your kids are, you know, being homeschooled? So it's, it's been really kind of interesting to almost have to get creative or get really intentional with this is my situation. This is what I have control over, but how do I manage this the best that I can? Right. And I think the biggest thing that I tell clients or would tell somebody in this time is to have self-compassion and, and show yourself a little bit of grace because what I'm seeing a lot of is whether it's functioning or moods and they kind of keep going back, I guess we'll call it pre-COVID, but you know, well, I was able to do this or this is what things were like and, and just reminding them that your best is going to look different right now and that's mm -hmm. okay. For sure. You're not always gonna be here you know, you're not going to allow yourself to stay here, but you, but your best can look a little bit different because situationally, you know, things are different. So having a lot of grace, um, I always have to remind clients about that because that's, that's again, all that we have control over. Um, but I think I saw a statistic the other, the other day that it was like 53% of Americans have had since 
you know, COVID started, you know, negative impacts due to their mental health because of all this going on. Yeah, I'm sure it just amplified it. Like, I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where, you know, I still kept my job. Like the, the worst thing that happened to me was I lost my gym. <laughs> but obviously, that's one of my releases. But it turned into a positive because it gave me a kind of a kick in the ass to get this started, which is something I've wanted to do. So I found a positive outlet during this time. Um, and I wanted to, to call it the pursuit of happiness. Cause it was looking at ways to be happy to see what other people are doing to be happy. How do they achieve their goals? And I found it super important to do an episode like this. Cause there's a lot of people that are, they feel like they're stuck in a place where they can't get to happiness. And so I want to cover a, a lot of that to maybe take some steps and for them to do that. Um, I would love to first kind of start with the basic here. What is the definition of mental health? Yeah, so so mental health, um, everybody has it. <laughs> right. We are not robots, we all have it. Mental health is just defined as far as, you know, psychologically, you know, how are you feeling mentally, emotionally? Mental health covers just the whole gamut. And, um, you know, the importance of mental health too, as far as different parts of your life might look a little bit different too, as far as what are the needs, um, you know, what, what are the stressors and that kind of thing. So yeah, mental health is just our mental, our physical, how we feel internally and externally. And you just gave a statistic for COVID. So um, what would you say like pre-COVID, during COVID, would you say like how many people, is there research, like how many people in, we'll say the United States are affected by some kind of like, we'll say a mental health disorder. Do you have like a ratio or percentage? So, so with anxiety, depression, um, you know, cause those are more, you know, the prevalence and, and diagnoses that I see, um, depression is about 16 million Americans wow. are diagnosed with some form of a depressive disorder. And with anxiety, that's relatively higher. And we've seen that number go up over the years, especially with the younger generation. Um, that one's about 40 million. Um, and only about 30% of those people are seeking help. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, when the numbers come out like that, I mean, it's astronomical and it's, it's, it's mind boggling because, you know, why is only 30% of, of that population seeking help? Um, if so many people are impacted by this. Can I ask you, is that because they're afraid to seek help or is it because they just don't know they have some kind of a disorder? Um, I would say it it could potentially be a little bit of both. Um, I know with a lot of, so I work with um, a lot of younger adults, a lot of emerging adults, I call them in the adolescent range. A lot of that is this stigma that holds them back. Sometimes, I mean, there there are resources out there, um, but it's the stigma that if I seek out help, it means that I'm crazy, that I'm flawed, or I should have all of this together. Um, You know, or maybe, you know, the unfortunate side of that is that they've sought out help and maybe haven't been validated or felt understood, and and that's kept them from um, seeking help in the future. Um, definitely do I think that there should be more resources for mental health? 110% yes. Mm-hmm. Um, there are resources. I just don't think there's enough. So depression is something we're going to get into in just a moment. Um, but I'm kind of curious, us living in America, 
I feel like America is probably dealing with as much mental health issues as any country in the world. Would I be correct in saying that? Or are we on par with everyone else? Yeah. So um, the United States is in the top three for um, mental health diagnoses. I believe it was China and India that were also up there. Um, and that just kind of comes down to also as far as, I mean, you, you if you were to break it down, maybe even pre-COVID, I don't know what that number would be at currently right now, um, where we would fall, but, you know, work ethic and, you know, even with, I mean, to speak for, you know, the United States, it's multitasking, you know, at its finest, that's such a great skill to have, or, you know, work, 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 um, you know, have this big house, have this money, have this drive. So there's a lot of stress that has been placed on us also to have this specific timeline. I should be here by now. I should be doing this. So, it, you know, if you were to look at maybe some other countries, you know, culturally, I don't know what that pressure necessarily would be like, but I think that falls a lot if you were to look at maybe some of the similarities within the United States and, and some of the other countries that have the higher rates of that. So we have one of the most populous countries in the world. Um, and obviously the, the countries you just said do too. So minus population, but maybe your ratio wise, is there a country that uh, we should be modeling after or countries that do it right, that have a better ratio, I guess? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm trying to remember um, some of the countries that I've come across, but I want to say like some of the ones that it's very like, I don't want to say simple, but, but in all honesty, if it's a lot of like, you know, the outdoors or mm -hmm. a lot of work that isn't just, you know, I'm spending all my day commuting or I'm in an office to where, you know, maybe the outdoors are more prevalent or um, like, there's not so much this busyness. So I don't, I, I guess I couldn't tell you a specific country, but I can tell you, you know, factors of that, of, I guess I'll use the word, maybe ones that are more unplugged than yeah. the United States. So yeah. Definitely um, that, but I think it, I think it kind of comes down to too culturally, you know, the expectations and the pressure that's placed on those expectations, but even some of the, the countries, you know, it's, it's not even that they are um, incredibly populous or that they have all of these, you know, socioeconomic, like, you know, things and expensive things. It just kind of comes down to what really is it that makes them happy. Mm -hmm. And I think the less is more approach from what I found somewhat models those countries that makes complete sense like what when i asked that question what came to mind i guess was like costa rica new zealand iceland like countries like that like super outdoors um yeah kind of simple like live in a small country not that many things like their life is probably a little more simpler but um so how is it that people are like officially diagnosed with needing mental help yeah so um, we, as, as therapists, there's counselors, doctors, nurses use what's called the DSM. So that's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Um, and that has all of the mental health diagnoses um, and, then, and then more in it as far as, you know, the codes and, um, you know, as far as what would, um, where would somebody fall within the di diagnosing somebody. So that is what we use as our basis. So something even like you know, people can have um, like some symptoms of something without it having being like a full-blown diagnosis. So you can have symptoms of anxiety and depression, but there's something that's called ma major depressive disorder. So with that is they look at severity symptoms. So, so mild, moderate, severe, 
as far as the timeline, how long have you been experiencing symptoms, to what severity have you been experiencing symptoms. So with, with myself, um, you know, diagnosing somebody, I always say that that is something to where if it's a heavy diagnosis, you really want to make sure that that's, that somebody needs all of those points to meet that diagnosis. Um, especially anything that was like a personality disorder or, you know, you hear people say, oh, I'm so OCD with this. Well, if you're actually to break down the actual definition of what, you know, an OCD diagnosis is, it's, it's, it's a lot more than just being particular about things. So um, if that answers your question, that is the, the manual that we use, but it is very specific and, um, you know, it covers a lot of disorders. Um, I just, I'm curious. So is it easy or possible for someone to kind of cover up some of like what would be in the DSM? Like they know they're talking to a therapist. I don't want to give you information that's going to make me look crazy. Do you deal with that at all? Or does that test really kind of help break it down for yeah, you? Yeah, I, I would say that that definitely helps out specifiers that, you know, you're going to be looking for. So if you can anticipate, okay, this person sounds like, you know, maybe they, they have generalized anxiety disorder you know, it's, it's an outline that you're able to kind of go through and make like a checklist. Well, do they meet this to what severity? So that can really help out. Um, I guess if somebody was um, holding back, which, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, I'm afraid, or if it's maybe like a court ordered something to where they'd be holding back, I would just ask the question as to why. Mm -hmm. But generally, you know, in our sessions, and even throughout diagnosing is, um, you know, it happens over time. So whether it's going to be the questions that you'd be asking them, um, their answers, and I guess, yeah, it just would go a little bit back to, well, why are you not disclosing that? And maybe that's something we should look at even before talking about a diagnosis. Yeah, because I know we talked about the stigma and everything. So I feel like maybe that could be why they just don't really want to admit to themselves and to maybe like a stranger such as you or a therapist that they're seeing that they're, you know, experiencing issues. So was just curious to know how, like how accurate of a test that is. Like, so I've heard that depression, uh, specifically, maybe other, um, diagnosis is like a chemical imbalance. Is that true? Or is that, um, just kind of, uh, wh whatever you want to call it, a name for it? Yeah. In, in, in some situations. Yes. So, um, with, um, the chemical imbalance, it's like cortisol is a stress hormone that we create in our body that our brain creates. So high amounts of cortisol basically are telling you, okay, you're stressed out about something. Is it in your environment? Is it a situation? And of course, over time, when those levels get really imbalanced is when you start to see um, or see or maybe hear about that chemical imbalance. I'm not feeling okay. My moods are off. What's going on with me? Um, so as far as with medication, it's called an SSRI. So it's a ser uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, antidepressant <laughs> is a lay term of that. But basically that helps create more um, serotonin and to help balance out those levels. So it's, it can be kind of a case by case basis. I'm not a medical provider in order to share that as far as just the education um, you know, behind it. But to answer your question, yes, it, it, it is definitely a chemical imbalance. Um, for everybody, it's different though, to see how extreme is that imbalance. Um, something like medication definitely can help balance things out. But I say it goes hand in hand with therapy, because taking a pill 
doesn't make situations not go away. Taking mm -hmm. a pill doesn't create those coping skills that you can learn to help you through that. It might help definitely with a lot of the symptoms and help kind of take steps to get you to that point. Um, but generally you see the most benefit from, you know, talk therapy and medication or, you know, rather than just one, like you said, I think right. you said that pill, you know, in the beginning of our yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big believer personally in myself. Um, I'm pretty healthy in general. I, I'm not on any medications. Um, but like, you know, I have like animals and, you know, family and stuff. I'm a big believer that if there is another way, whether it's diet or exercise or therapy, let's go that route before taking a pill. Right. When, when I won't say you, when anyone in general, I guess, prescribes someone this this antidepressant is it for temporary purposes do they want to just get them over the hump to gradually get them off or is it i'm giving this to you so you're going to be on this for quite a while now like how does that work i think it depends too on on the severity or, or where somebody's at maybe on that journey um you know have i seen benefit from somebody who maybe has um has been dealing with depression for a rather long period of time doesn't have a lot of coping skills do I think it could be beneficial potentially? Um, but I think sometimes I've seen it um, more in just practicing with clients that depending on the doctor that you would see, sometimes it is, I don't know how to deal with depression. I don't know how to deal with anxiety, but we have this antidepressant, try that. Mm -hmm. Because it's not always, they, they don't treat from, I'll call it like the head on. Right. It, you know, how are we going to make you feel? So yeah. I think in, in situations like that, that's where I say like mental health, I don't think is, is talked about enough or normalized enough to say, well, Hey, maybe we should try this route before giving a pill. Because generally when you go to the doctor, that's what they give you. Right. So a psychiatrist is somebody who is specialized in mental health disorders and mental health, um, prescriptions. So I would say, and I would highly recommend somebody to probably seek out a psychiatrist rather than maybe just a general doctor or nurse practitioner, because they're going to be um, more well-versed in the medications and, and maybe getting you on a right track because there's so many different types. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's, it's hard at times I, I've heard clients to find like the correct one. Right. And see like not just mental health, but anything in general, like I kind of feel like sometimes that like taking a pill is just putting a bandaid on the situation instead of actually curing the problem. Um, so that's why I was just kind of curious about the whole, you know, antidepressant, how that works. Now I know you go ahead. Sorry. I said, it's a good point that you make too, with like diet and exercise and sleep and, you know, everything like that. Basically it's like the, the person as a whole, right. Is, you know, generally, um, I would, you know, feel like, yeah, it's easier to say, okay, just take this rather than, all right, what are your self care? What are you doing for this? And it's, so I feel like that's, that's for me. I try and break that down too. Um, but even something like sleep, if someone isn't sleeping well, I say it goes so highly underdiagnosed. Mm -hmm. That is where we'll start because if you aren't feeling well physically, then, you know, mentally that's, that's going to be the hardest thing. We can't just jump over from, you know, A to C, we have to figure out that and take the steps. So it's, it's good that you mentioned that too, that physical health is so, so important to in align mm -hmm. so much with mental health. Yeah. It is funny you said sleep because. I think to myself, when I'm stressed or I'm grieving or sad or dealing with something, sleep is the first thing to go. My mind is just constantly running at night. I might get an hour or two waking up every 20 minutes. So 
that is something for me personally, and I imagine a lot of other people that when they're dealing with something, getting good sleep is kind of hard to, hard to get. And I guess that's where a lot of like the physical activities come in, kind of exhaust yourself a little bit. And I don't know, that's, to me, that's a tough one. Um, do you have any recommendations for someone who's like, who's like me, like having a hard time and stress and they need to get better sleep? Yeah. Um, I, I definitely would look at, um, some like progressive muscle relaxation, which is, you know, the deep breathing, but also like tensing and releasing your body. And it can start from your head, go down to your toes. You know, that's something that can be, you know, like a guided imagery or, you know, there's apps for that to where it's, it's getting you more or less in that calm state because generally right when our head hits the pillow, Mm -hmm. you know, we're thinking a lot because we don't have the distractions throughout the day. So that would be definitely something to look into. Um, Even if it's something, you know, what is your nighttime routine like to get you kind of in that calm state? You know, is it, is it journaling? Are you somebody that, you know, I'm thinking about all these things I have to do the next day or the things I didn't get done. Like, I think there's something so therapeutic to like writing some stuff down or I can't physically take care of this right now, but I have a to-do list or something for tomorrow and, you know, close it and kind of let it be so that it's like, I've taken care of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but almost just something kind of into it a little bit too, which is, you know, a, an approach I use. So it's like, it's called cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's, it's basically saying all of our thoughts, feelings, or actions are all intertwined, like a chain link. So I'd almost go back to, you know, if, if it's the thoughts or something that's keeping you up, you know, what is that, what is that inner dialogue like, you know, what are they saying, you know, is it, is it being truthful? So that's some of the things where I'd start is all, you know, what is going on um, inside our head? What are we thinking? What are we telling ourselves in addition to a few of the other, you know, kind of general coping skills of how we can calm our body down. Um, But that's something big that we see, right, is with stress is we we're not sleeping well. So we're Mm -hmm. also not getting that REM sleep, which we should be getting you know, uh, eight hours. So that's two REM sleep cycles. So, you know, if you're saying you're struggling with sleep, you're just taking really long naps without getting yeah. that REM, you know, sleep cycle that we need. Yeah. That's why it's so important that you do what you do is because everything you just said is basically getting to the root of the problem. Like, why are they thinking these things and what are they saying to themselves? And I think, <clears throat> I mean, at least me personally, when I get into bed and most of the time I go sleep just fine. I fall asleep. I'm good. But when I am stressing is the stories I'm telling myself, the things I got to deal with. And with me personally, it's just trying to get control of my life. If something's going haywire that I can't control, that's probably my biggest weakness is learning to learning that you can't control the things that are just out of your control, you know, and you have to let that go and let things fall as they may. Um, but I want to go back real quick where you said serotonin. I want to, um, let's get the definition of serotonin. Um, cause I know that's what's the, and what's the difference between serotonin and what's the oxy oxy, um, what's the word? Cortisol. Cortisol. Yeah. And there's like, what's the other, um, happiness hormone? I think it's like oxytocin. Yeah. yeah oxytocin. What's yeah. so what's the difference between serotonin and oxytocin? It's just, it's, it's like the um, chemical that our body produces, it's a hormone. So it's, it's different parts of the brain too, that create this chemical. Um, so I, I, I don't know as far as the science so much, you know, in depth with that, but you know, it's just basically, you know, if we are 
um, you know, joyous, we're doing something happy, things are going well, or we're, you know, engaging in something, that's when we see, you know, our serotonin levels rise, it feels good, you know, it might be a rush, or it might just be a little bit here and there, and then, like I said, the, the, the cortisol would be the stress-inducing one, so that one at times could be, you know, that fight-or-flight instinct, right, that rush of, like, almost like your, your stomach dropping or something's going wrong. So you can imagine if your body is creating that hormone um, to an excess, I mean, you are constantly functioning at a fight or flight level for an extended period of time, which our body is not meant to do. Right. And so is there another way besides the DSM test to measure cortisol or is there any kind of like quick tips or you can give somebody that, hey, your cortisol might be out of whack if X, Y, Z is happening? Um, I, I don't know if there's necessarily a quick fix. It would be something, you know, to probably talk to, um, primary care physician or psychiatrist about as far as any specific type of testing. Um, I would say it's just, I guess I, I advocate so much for my clients to where I say, if, if you feel like something is off, it probably is, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to know better than anybody else. So mm-hmm. maybe it's looking at just how fatigued I'm feeling or I have no motivation. And, and I hear a lot of comparing and contrasting. So that could be something to it. As far as a specific test, I'm not entirely sure if there is one to, to measure that level or not. Okay. I was just curious if there was like anything someone could do at home to be like, yeah, my cortisol levels is probably a little out of whack here. But like you said, if you feel it, that's probably an indicator something's off. Um, so I kind of want to get into depression right now, which is obviously another one of those words I hear more and more and more of. Um, Can you give the exact definition of what depression is? Yeah. So, you know, generally you're going to find it's, it's a loss of interest in things that maybe you once did. It is um, impacting your health. It is impairing you from doing daily activities that once maybe came easy to you. Um, loss of motivation, just generally kind of feeling down um, with depression too. Maybe you notice that it's hard to concentrate, that maybe things that you know came easy to you in the past, you're having a really difficult time with. Um, generally, that is the definition. Now, that all could be brought on by you know a number of things, whether it's over time or whether it was a situation that triggered those feelings. Okay. Um, and so, when did depression actually kind of become like a formal diagnosis? When it's like, it's like I said, it's like more of like a hot topic now. How long has this been around? So, um, I mean, for, for ages, however, um, I'm sure you're gonna be familiar with, with Freud, um, Mm -hmm. and hearing about all of his, um, research and I guess we'll call him antics because he wasn't the most ethical person when he (laughs) did all this research, but generally that's where you started to see somebody really dive into it. Now, I feel like it started the research as far as what's going on here, but I feel like research and understanding are a little bit two different things. So I feel like the understanding of depression didn't come till much later, but in the DSM, it wasn't added till, depression wasn't until the 1970s that it was added as a diagnosable disorder. Now, not to say that people didn't talk about, I feel depressed, this is what's going on, but, but an actual medical diagnosis didn't come until the 70s. Um, and anxiety followed short after in the 80s. So, you know, if that tells you anything as far as normalizing um, the disorders, it's it's not, it wasn't soon enough, I feel like. That, right. like. Research was there, but 
but to actually have it be a diagnosis, um, not until the 70s and 80s. And correct me if I'm wrong, I get the indication that the research is still kind of catching up. And I feel like personally, it's going to be a while before it does catch up with the explosion of social media. Um, I, you brought up the term expectations before and comparisons. And I personally feel like that's a really bad path for people to go down when they're trying to compare their lives to other people on social media and try to keep up with them. And it's, it's an impossible game to play. Um, what are your thoughts on, on that and so how social media has affected all of this? Yeah, I, um, I love talking about this, but I've, I've talked, um, I've actually spoken about this at ASU about how social media impacts mental health so much because it does. And trends too are ever evolving. So as you talk about that research, it's, you know, something to where, okay, this specific intervention is helpful, but now we throw in um, social media and Instagram, what it was even five years ago is nothing to where it's at today. And it's constantly evolving. So, you know, definitely, I think that it impacts um, everybody, I would say more in the younger generation, just typically from what I've seen in my practice, but it comes down to right expectations of how I'm supposed to look um, filtered, filtered reality, really, mm-hmm. maybe it's a better way of saying it, but also then you throw in bullying and it's so easily accessible and, you know, it's hard to tell, you know, a teen or, you know, a, a younger adult who that's, this is their whole life. This is their, you know, this is how they socialize. This is what their friends do. So even to, to take them to tell them to take a break, I remember telling, you know, some people in the audience and looking at their faces, it was like, wait, I have to turn off my phone or I can't check Instagram every time it sends me a notification. And it was kind of like the horror of telling them this is, this is, could get you a good result. Um, it's, it almost is like, I'm going to socially isolate myself. So it's, it's a lot of education and and trying to figure out like a healthy balance, but it definitely, um, doesn't, doesn't have a good impact. And we've seen primarily anxiety to rates rise because of this, you know, it falls into perfectionism, you know, how I'm supposed to look or, um, you know, typically it's, it's everyone's best highlight reel and it's, it's really not real life. So as you fall into that comparison zone too, you know, you're scrolling through so-and-so, you know, is at this point in time in their life or having kids or took a trip or they look so happy and they start comparing it to themselves and saying, well, why am I not like that? Um, and it's, it's hard. I can tell them, but it's, you know, it's kind of a process we have to go through that anybody can post a photo, but it's, it's, it's really, it's not real life. It is a highlight reel. It's a highlight reel of what people choose to put up and then God knows how many photos it took to get that one perfect one. It's just, it's not real life. And it's the people that you're comparing your life to or the people you idolize yourself after. It's a really tough situation to be in. I'm glad I'm not a teenager this day and age because I don't know how to avoid that myself. Like, do you have any tips besides turn your phone off for teenagers or maybe you have some adults listening to this who have kids that really want to tell them something. Definitely. Um, you know, balancing it out or making sure you're following accounts that, that are real or do talk about, you know, some of these topics there's, I love when I see accounts, whether it's, it's body image or they'll have the accounts of, you know, Instagram versus reality, you know, you'll see those and stuff too. And it's very humanizing. So I don't think there's enough of those, but it also comes down to who are you following? So, 
we might have a discussion over, are there accounts that you feel like aren't serving you and you do need to unfollow them and add accounts if it is something, I guess I'll, I'll use the example of like fitness or something. You know, yeah, there's accounts out there that, you know, show a healthy body image and show the real journey of fitness versus somebody who, you know, is incredibly cut and, you know, edited or something like that. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about that. And there's also like mindful scrolling of social media. You know, what is the intent of me picking up my phone and scrolling right now? Am I doing it to socialize? Or am I doing it to, you know, compare? How am I feeling before? How am I feeling after? So it's really kind of slowing it down and, and like, yeah, really kind of it being mindfully scrolling. And if you notice things coming up, that is a sign that, that you know, you need to take a break or you need to kind of step away from that. Um, so those things can be really good tools, setting limits on how much you use social media. Mm -hmm. um, being really intentional if you're going to go on there and say i'm just going to socialize or wish so and so a happy birthday try your best to really stick to that right um but i think that mindful approach is probably the biggest one that i like to use because it's it's kind of like a self-check um of how i'm feeling because generally when you're scrolling for hours you're not you're not thinking about that are they are these apps designed for the kind of dopamine hits to kind of get you addicted or is um, that just me I, I don't know. Honestly, something is working, you know, with them. Yeah. Maybe, so, I mean, maybe not in the, the, the best way, in a negative way. I don't know. I think that, um, I mean, if you look at some of these companies, I don't know if the, the intent is to make everybody feel equal and happy, but which is, which is the negative side of that too. So maybe that something is the education behind, um, behind some of the platforms too, and just being knowledgeable about that. Generally, it reminds me of a lot of things, maybe more or less on like Facebook than Instagram, but some of Instagram is we believe everything we see, we believe everything we hear, mm -hmm. you know, it's not always peer reviewed. And, you know, there's, there's something with that too, is we place so much trust in these platforms and they don't always have our best interest in mind. No, for sure. And I'll be, I'll be the first to admit when I post a photo, it's cool to get a hundred likes compared yeah. to 10 and yeah. I'll take a second to think, why did this one get a hundred compared to the one that got 10? And then you're just building off that you go down a, a rabbit hole and I'm not even on social media all that much. So I can imagine for someone who's on that more, that's more of a roller coaster throughout the day. Who's just thinking of how to get those likes and they'll do whatever. And then before you know it, they're pretending to be someone else just to get a bunch of hits and recognition. Um, would you say teenagers, I guess maybe, are they the highest numbers for depression these days or is there a different age group that is dealing with depression? Yeah. Uh, you know, with depression, typically, as far as an age group, typically you notice like the, the um, heightened symptoms and effects like in your thirties. So by no means do I say a lot of the clients that I see, I would say generally fall between, you know, the 18 to 35, 40 year old range. So I definitely see it in, in younger, but if you're talking maybe about prolonged, you know, depression to where you really start to see those effects or, you know, if suicidality, you know, is, is, is also, you know, thrown in there too. It's like the long-term effects, but, um, I, I don't necessarily say with younger or older, um, I suppose it would definitely be, you know, impacted when it goes hand in hand with anxiety. So I would think, yes, with the higher rates of anxiety, definitely probably seeing a lot of higher rates of depression too, because they go hand in hand, right? If 
we feel anxious about something or we don't feel you know good about ourselves is that's when we start to notice that depression set in so why is it that age group do you have research on that or i guess um yeah like what's the biggest what's the cause of depression for an age group like that um, I would say it could be a multitude of a lot of different factors. I mean, it's, I think social media definitely is one of them, but what I've also seen, and, and I'm not speaking research versus just my, my clients is a lot of the expectations that are placed on them, not only from parents, but peers, but, but, um, just, just the, the United States in itself, you know, just the expectations, I think that they have this high level of perfectionist traits that I think fall into that, which depression and anxiety will go hand in hand with that. So I think there's a lot of that. Now, what's interesting though, too, is a, is a good multitude of my clients that I see are in that age range because I think they're a little bit more open to mental health than if you were to say a 40 plus generation. Mm -hmm. I think that's where you see a lot of people and I hear it all the time, I should have come in earlier or you know, I don't know why, you know, I went so many years without this. So that is one thing that yes, we see those mental health, you know, diagnoses fairly prevalent. However, I feel like that stigma, they're a little bit more open to saying, I have this, I see a therapist, this is what's going on. So that's sure. kind of an interesting mix also. For sure. And the, a key word you keep saying is a word that I've gotten a grasp on more recently is expectations. Um, I remember hearing a quote and I'm paraphrasing from Tony Robbins, like a few years ago, just kind of saying like depression sinks in when the blueprint of your life, like doesn't meet your expectations. And that just, like I said, that was probably like seven, eight years ago and that still sticks with me. And I'll be the first to admit I'm 37. I am single. And I had a hard time when in my late twenties, when all my friends were getting married, they're all having kids. And I was like, why aren't, why is that not happening for me? Why am I not down this path? And it took a few years, honestly, to stop comparing about that, making the best of my situation now to be happy with who I am. Um, and that took a long time. I, I get that when you compare, yourself to others. And when you have expectations, by the time I'm 30, I'm going to be married and start a family and have a great job and a house and the white picket fence. And when that doesn't happen, you start to question things and spiral down. Um, but fortunately, you know, I kind of picked myself up out of that and realized all the things I do have and the things I can do because I'm not in that situation. So personally, I know not being tied down like that travel has become such a major passion of mine doing that while I can right. before my priorities change in life, which hopefully will happen someday. But I'm, I may, I'm making the best of my situation now forgetting expectations. Uh, what's that saying? Um, man plans and God laughs like that. That's my life. So now I've, I've learned to adjust. Um, yeah. Expectations are that's, do you, you, would you say that was like, that's, that's the leading cause and kind of depression is just not meeting expectations. Yeah. I think some of that also, and it's, 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 you know, I think your support systems and, you know, the, I, I have a lot of sayings to, you know, with clients, you know, I think you've probably heard this into, you know, you become like the five people you surround yourself with. So mm -hmm. a lot of times, you know, depression, you know, is a situation that you need to, you know, get out of, are you being supported? Are you being validated? Um, you know, a lot of times when it comes to our emotions, it's the whole part of, 
just somebody simply validating that. And, you know, if we as adults aren't able to even validate our own emotions, it starts the cycle of, I shouldn't be feeling this way. What's wrong with me? I should have it all together. Why is this bothering me? Why am I sad? So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I use the example of, um, you know, as, as we're kids, unless you grew up in a family, which, I mean, I can speak for myself, it wasn't, motions isn't something we always, you know, talked about, you know, so the analogy of you're riding a bike, you know, you fall, you skin, you scrape your knee, you know, what are you told? Well, dry it up, you know, put a bandaid on it and get back on and do it. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's kind of taught in that moment of, well, well, wait a minute, how did this really make you feel? So I think there's so much, um, you know, just healthiness that can lie in like processing the emotions. The end result might be the same as, you know, get up and try it again, but it could be, how did that make you feel? Like nervous to get back on or man, that really, that kind of sucked. You took a hit. Like so much of that can, can be so healthy if we, you know, we're modeled or, or we can validate it for ourselves. But then when big adult problems become, you know, big, it's like, we don't know how to handle it. So the validation of emotions is incredibly important too in that work of, you know, the expectations or, you know, if, if someone had told us that we shouldn't feel this certain way, um, you know, are, are we the ones that are invalidating it? Or, you know, is it somebody else surrounding us? There's, there's so much to that um, that can lie too with, um, with somebody maybe struggling with depression too. That's definitely an area that I focus on. And we've touched on expectations and stigma quite a bit. And I also kind of want to touch, I'm just sitting here thinking, like when you were a kid growing up and whatnot, like being a male, it's even more difficult in today's society to just show vulnerability and to admit you're dealing with something because we're taught from a young age to man up, don't be a wuss, just do it, just deal with it, get through it. Do you, do you see that being prevalent and talking with like male clients or you see that being a problem? Yeah, definitely. Um, and statistically too, males are the ones too that don't reach out. You know, it's, it's generally more women that will seek out help. Mm -hmm. um, I think for that reason specifically too, but um, yeah, you know, I think, I think it all kind of comes down to the ways of, of looking at like feeling an emotion too, you know, generally, like you were saying with, you know, how it was portrayed or growing up, it's like, well, you know, you're a sissy or something if you're going to cry. And it's like, so we, so we think any emotion, I yeah. shouldn't be feeling this, or I'm not going to show this. Now it can go black and white to the point of, well, what if I could show it a little bit or, you know, can I be emotional, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to, you know, flat out start crying, but what does that mean? What is the definition of that for me in, in, in this moment? So definitely with men, I think something I say all the time is you're not a robot. <laughs> you have feelings, you have emotions, they are there. And it's maybe just how are we handling those when a situation comes up? Um, you know, internally, can you validate that for yourself? I mean, I will say this is the most, um, I would say, somebody who seems the most in tune with their emotions or the most like, manliest, you know, put together men are somebody that I've seen understand or can validate or just curious about why am I feeling this way and can be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So I will say that. And I, and I tell all of the men that I treat, I would say somebody that is in that good of a place, you're not, not showing your emotions. You're more in tune with them. That emotional intelligence is really prevalent. Um, so I, I really try and kind of put a twist on that, but I understand that it is a feat in itself um, and continues to be. I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where I feel pretty comfortable with who I am. So 
if anybody listened to this podcast, you can listen to all my previous and future podcasts. You'll hear me be a bit vulnerable and talk about my life just because I am very comfortable now. But there was a time I certainly wasn't. And growing up, you kind of hear, I, didn't, I want to say I heard this from my family, but you kind of hear from others like a therapist, really? Are you crazy? What's wrong with you? And then being a male on top of that, it takes a while to almost kind of get over that to be like, I really need to go talk to somebody and, and, you know, see someone to figure out how to make my life a little better and get out of this little rut that I got. And yeah, it's like you said, it's the stigma. Like, how do we get rid of this? How do we get rid of this stigma? Like what do we do? Yeah. I talking about it, being authentic and being real about it, being honest. I love, um, and I guess I'm referring back to social media, but just in general, like, you have a platform we've seen a lot of not enough but you know some celebrities people that have bigger platforms coming forward lady gaga i can think of was one who has you know just been so open and vulnerable about her mental health journey um you know so people like that that i think help normalize it but um talking about it i mean if if i could scream it from a rooftop you know it it would be talking about it It'd be in our schools how are we educating um, you know, our kids about this, you know, are there, um, even with our teenagers where you start to see, like I said, these, these problems turn into big problems and big feelings, you know, what is, what is that like? What is the education like? What are our resources like? Mm-hmm. Um, so on so many different levels, it is bringing awareness to mental health. And it's just in the, I could maybe even speak to it, maybe in the past three years is like an attempt, but it is not enough whatsoever. I was going to ask you, are we actually getting better at this? Because I know growing up, I never learned anything about mental health or depression. It was like, I had like health class. <laughs> that was it. I don't recall anxiety or depression being in that class. So yeah. are we, are we actually taking steps forward of this? I think, I think we're trying. I just think that I don't know whether it's resources or if it's the correct ways. And sometimes like, because it's, it's such a big you know, concern that it's almost like it'd have to be, you know, really honed in and hyper-focused on, you know, what are you doing in this, you know, situation? Because we see people fall through the cracks all the time. So I think it would be more and more education, but um, I, I I don't know if there's, you know, a specific, you know, way to do it other than just bringing more awareness and having it be in the schools or, or workplaces. That's another place too that, you know, I've, um, you know, been reached out to talk to, you know, some people in some workplaces, whether it's conflict resolution or things like that, having resources in these places that are stressful and having it be a safe environment to do that. I mean, mm-hmm. I can speak to in, in high school, I went to a private school, private Catholic school. So we didn't have a counselor. You, If you had an issue going on, you go and talk to someone in the clergy or you go and talk to, you know, and it was like, sure, I'm sure they had a background in some of it, but the actual like understanding of it or maybe giving you some you know realistic reasonable coping skills definitely didn't happen right yeah and i'm just trying to think like yeah they you need to know it's okay to go talk to somebody i i never knew that growing up i never knew that and i have a relationship with both my mom and dad but i was never like super open with them so it just ended up me keeping stuff to myself um so I'm, I'm fortunate that I have got comfortable enough to actually go speak to some, someone. Um, so I'm kind of curious. I do know people in my life that have depression. I'm not going to name who they are. It doesn't matter. Um, 
what are signs that we should look for, for people that are close to us, people that we love and friends to be like, ah, they might be going through depression. Yeah. Um, I would say if you notice them um, just not being themselves, if they're, if they are holding back, whether it's, you know, socially, you know, they've been kind of blowing me off socially or they've been isolating or isolation is, is a very big um, symptom of depression is they don't want people to see that something is going on. So if you notice them isolating, um, if they kind of are maybe like tuned out or, you know, if it's something hard to focus, if they're really talking kind of, you know, just negative, um, just maybe even the, the language that they're using just isn't something that you would hear generally come out of their mouth. Um, you know, would all be things if, if they stop doing things that they once enjoy to do or would bring them joy, you know, if they are somebody who are really active or, or social or outgoing, you know, notice a lot of those changes, that's definitely something to say, you know, something's going on here. They're just not themselves. Mm -hmm. um, those are all really big factors. Um, even just the day to day, I think that's the biggest thing with depression is, you know, is are the day to day things, are they able to function? you know, day to day. Um, are they even getting up? Are they taking care of themselves? Um, those can all be signs and symptoms of somebody maybe who's dealing with depression. Is there a time, I don't want to say time limit, but ish that at what point does it go from like grievance to I'm depressed? Like I'm have, I'm, I have an issue now. Like how long yeah, does that take? I think it, I think it depends on, you know, this, the situation I know you mentioned, you know, grievance, if it's something with grief, I don't think there's a timeline necessarily, but I would say maybe level of severity is something to where, um, that shift maybe would be a little bit more noticeable of, you know, it's okay to have these feelings. And I will tell people it is okay to say, you know, I'm depressed. Like I'm dealing with this right now. It's how you're dealing with it. You know, are you talking about it? Do you have support? versus when it kind of goes into that range of being moderate to severe is I'm not talking about it. I'm not dealing with it. Um, I'm having maybe some suicide, suicidal thoughts because of this, because I feel so hopeless. So I think when you notice that shift to I'm dealing with it the best I can to complete hopelessness would definitely be something to watch out for. Um, but, you know, depression too, you know, as we, any type of preventative maintenance, um, is, you know, can, can help with that, which is, you know, where those coping skills come in, um, where that psychoeducation comes in of kind of understanding where this is coming from. Um, but also too, maybe even for that person is watching that cycle. Once again, even to think about, you know, times to where, you know, if I went through something, it's your questioning, I shouldn't be feeling this way. And it's like, you start getting down on yourself with just not helping the problem. So mm -hmm. allow yourself to be human. Um, if, if you're in a dark place, it's okay to be there. Just don't stay there. Mm -hmm. Feel it, feel deal, heal, um, find some coping skills, talk to somebody, reach out, ask for help. Just don't stay there. You don't have to stay there by yourself. So I want to hit on preventative maintenance in the second, but for, let's say I know somebody who I feel like is depressed, um, maybe even suicidal thoughts. What should I do as like a friend or a someone who really cares about this person? Are there tactics that I should take when approaching this person? Yeah. Um, just, just approach them with, you know, just, just be sincere. I think the, the tagline, you know, what not to do is, you know, you need help or you need to go talk to somebody right Their Their defense barrier is going to go up. No, I don't. I'm fine. 
So even just wording it and pointing out maybe, you know, I've seen that you, you know, stopped going on your daily hikes. What's, what's going on? You don't seem like yourself. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I just want to see you, you know, live as the best version of you. Um, you know, you can point out things like that, or even just, you know, it seems like you've been going through a lot right now. You deserve it and you owe to give back to yourself. You know, what are your thoughts about talking to somebody? Mm-hmm. Do you need help? Do you, should we, should we look up some resources together? So all, you know, it's, it, it is, you know, being somewhat tactful in that approach, but just letting them know too, that, you know, it's just basically, I don't see you as, as you, um, and I think that would help create a space, even if there is a little bit of defensiveness, I think it's just creating the space for that conversation to come up, to happen. Um, and sometimes two people don't know where to start. If it's, I've never seen a therapist, I don't know what to do. Sometimes it's, it's you know, nerve wracking or, you know, creates anxiety even to just start looking. Well, who do I talk to? Where do I go? And how do I find the right therapist? So maybe even just offering them um, some help. How can, how can I help? Um, and, and, and lead a little bit. And in turn, you're also showing them that you care, which is, I think, something that they're craving is to know that people actually really do care about their well-being. Um, do you have any like preventative maintenance that you suggest for people that are going through depression or going to go through it? Yeah. Um, you know, definitely it was something to where, you know, we're starting off, like, like I said, that cognitive approach, I'd really have them watch that thinking cycle. So they're not kind of going down that rabbit hole of negative thought and then going down there. So there would be maybe some tools that we would try with that on, on just a day to day. If it was somebody that maybe doesn't have so much of that, um, psychoeducation would be self care is so incredibly important or just doing some of the daily tasks. If you are somebody that's in a really rough spot, you know, sometimes it's, have you gotten out of bed? Have you showered that day? Um, you know, are you taking care of yourself? Okay, if it's if it's the big feat of not doing this, all right, are we are we still kind of chipping away at things? But definitely that self-care I think is incredibly important because it all kind of goes back into like filling our own cup and making sure that we're in a good spot. Self-care doesn't always have to come in forms of I feel like it's been a buzzword too the past you know few years. It doesn't mean going to the salon, getting your nails, doesn't have to be a facial. It can mean Am I allowing myself to take a 10 minute nap because I'm incredibly tired right now? Mm-hmm. You know, am I allowing myself to completely unplug and turn off for 10 minutes? Am I allowing myself some time for me before I go back to the busyness of home or the kids? Or how can I talk to my significant other about, hey, I'm really feeling this way. You know, what can we come up with so I can have a little bit of me time, whatever you're going to use that for? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that could be something that would be really important too, for somebody going through that. Um, I mean, talking to somebody, I think generally too, is probably always the best route. So even if it, if, if it's not a therapist, just talking to someone that you feel, you know, safe and understood, and then, you know, looking out other options, um, if you don't feel, you know, validated in that sense or a professional needs to be involved, but talking to someone makes world the difference. You, you feel yeah. a lot better after the thing I think that makes me feel the best, whether it should or shouldn't. And I feel like it does for a lot of people is like knowing you're not the only one going through shit. It's yeah. life and everyone is dealing with something. And I feel just to go back to social media real quick. I feel like that is what social media is lacking is the fact that these people are also dealing with crap that you just don't know about, right. you know? Um, 
real quick, I know, I know I don't want to take too long here, but I know anxiety is one that you also mentioned. Um, I have a feeling I know what anxiety is, but let's go ahead and define that too. Anxiety from your perspective. Excessive fear and worry about something or about a situation. So where I say anxiety is coming or attempting to come from a good place, right? I want to do really well on this exam, or I really want to, you know, have good job performance, you know, with my career, it's coming from a good place. I want to do well. When it starts to work against you is when you excessively feed into that worry and fear, or it prevents you from taking a risk or taking a step in your life because you're anticipating all the things that could go wrong, or it's, you know, catastrophic thinking. Um, So that's kind of, that would be my definition of, of anxiety. How do you know when anxiety has kind of gone a little too far? Because I think we all have a little anxiety about some things in life. I think that's normal. At what point you're like, do you need to tell yourself, this is a little much, I need to figure this out? I think it's watching um, what is that internal voice? What is that internal critic? And what's the voice? What is it telling you? So uh, a good question that I always use as a reframe too is if you wouldn't, um, talk to yourself, um, or if you wouldn't, excuse me, talk to a friend or a loved one, the way that you're talking to yourself, what is that telling you? So that could be about a situation or that could be, you know, oh, I really, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to bomb this exam, even though I've studied or I'm such an idiot. I always say, let's twist that around. And would you tell so-and-so about this? And, you know, most of the time it's, oh my gosh, no, I would never talk to him like that. That's silly. I'd be very encouraging. So I would say it's really watching that internal voice. What is it telling you? Where is it leading you? Is it, is it truthful? You know, are we creating hypothetical situations and how honest and truthful is that voice? Is it helping you or is it hurting you? Um, so that's where I think, I think anxiety so much too all starts with like that very critical voice that is driving a lot of the fear and worry. I, uh, one thing that I'm very familiar with, and I know everyone is kind of familiar with is imposter syndrome. How yeah. often do you deal with imposter syndrome? Cause I feel like we all have a little bit of that in us. <laughs> yeah. A lot, a lot. Imposter syndrome. Um, I feel like aligns to a lot with perfectionism. You know, it's basically, it's, it's creating all of these reasons as to why we're not worthy for something, why we're not enough. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy too, is if we manifest it enough, majority of the time it's, it's, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then what do we do then? Well, see, I told you, that's why I'm not going to do that. Or that's why I'm not going to take this risk. But you no, know, imposter syndrome is something definitely that I see a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> and we, we do all have it, right? I mean, I'd be lying to say, you know, I haven't had that myself, but mm-hmm. um, it's, yeah, it's, it's all how we deal with it. Like I say, it's not saying that situations aren't going to come up that we feel anxious about. That's that's very much so normal. But how are we handling the situations when they do come up? What do you tell somebody when they say, hey, I don't think I deserve this or belong here. They have the imposter syndrome. What's what's your feedback when, when you get that? Yeah, I think I think it would be starting to maybe break it down as to um, what, why, what are the reasons, you know, why not? Or are these reasons um, honest? Are they truthful? Are they hypothetical? Recreating a situation that we don't have evidence to, to back that thought up. Um, I'm very big on, you know, kind of thinking about we're only going to focus on what are the facts, not what if, not what could happen, um, not what so-and-so said. It's what are the facts, black and white. We're not going to include all the other stuff. So if we're able to maybe reframe that and you're still coming up with the same conclusion, 
you know, maybe that's something to dig a little bit deeper into. Um, but I think I would start there a little bit with imposter syndrome or, you know, or the, the question a lot too of, you know, what's holding you back? What's the worst that could happen? You know, right. generally think catastrophic rather than could something not go your way? Sure. You know, but I haven't completely failed. But in our, in our brain, we're not going to take steps to something because it's either I'm going to do really well or I've completely failed rather than in the middle. Maybe it didn't turn out the way I wanted to, but it sure as heck didn't fail. Mm -hmm. And the older I get, the more I'm kind of realizing the story that we tell ourselves is the one that stops us the most from getting what we want and doing the things we want to do. And I applaud you for kind of like chiseling away at that and how to change the narrative in our own heads. Um, as simple as I can't go over there and talk to that beautiful girl because I'm afraid to get rejected or I'm not going to apply for this job because I just don't feel like I'm good at it. And it's, you have an excuse for everything in your own head and you have the story already kind of figured out that most of the time is completely wrong, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, getting to change the internal story that's in your head. That is kind of the key, but at the same time, got to be super difficult to actually do. Um, yeah. especially if it's ingrained, like how often do you find that it's kind of like the environment that they grew up in that kind of formed the story? Do you find that a lot? Yeah. Um, that definitely has a part in it. Um, you know, and I, and I call those our core beliefs about ourselves is these core beliefs that we have developed over time. So whether it was, if it was something generally see that too, in somebody who has a rather traumatic past, you know, the core beliefs about themselves are very negative or it's full of guilt or it's full of shame. So it's, it's, um, kind of a, a, you know, different, different, but also some of the tools that we've been talking with too, with, you know, depression that, that we'll use in kind of diving a little bit into that, but definitely that has an impact. Um, but I think through therapy and through kind of diving a little bit deeper into yourself and understanding that it's, it's being emotionally aware and kind of insightful to be able to look at that and say, okay, this happened, or, you know, this was my childhood. However, by me recognizing that this wasn't okay, or by me recognizing that, um, you know, I was invalidated or this happened, but I now have the power to go and to kind of change that or to work mm -hmm. on change mm -hmm. that, that narrative for myself. So I think it comes to that has an impact. Yes, but it isn't the end all. And we can change that inner dialogue and that narrative. And obviously being at the time of COVID, I'm sure anxiety is going up like crazy. It's, um, it's something that was already somewhat of an issue and obviously just got turned up quite a bit. And then do you find that with the holidays around the corner, that's a time that people kind of go through depression and anxiety, maybe a little bit more? Yeah, generally, um, I guess I haven't heard this, but I've, I've, I've heard it from, you know, some other therapists is that the day after Thanksgiving is one of the busiest days for their phones because they spent so much time, you know, with family members. I haven't necessarily found that, but it can be very triggering, not only in ways of like interactions with family, but you know, if, if you don't have family or, you know, if, if something, you know, happened around that time of year, you know, generally we see a lot of it just being hard and, and, you know, right with, with COVID, um, how is, how is that going to look for a lot of different families as far as, you know, meeting up and seeing each other. So definitely I would say around this time of year, 
Um, it picks up a little bit. Um, I see a lot of, which is a good sign, but a lot in like January as like New Year's resolutions of like, I'm going to work on myself, I'm going to do this. So I see a lot more people generally reaching out in January because they wanted to start the year off right. I want to change something. I want to work on me. So, you know, I really use that as a strength and, you know, bring it into the session. But um, I guess to answer your, your question, some trends that I see around the holidays. Yeah. yeah. I feel like 2021, you're going to get a major boost just because we're getting freaking rid of 2020. <laughs> everyone's right. going to be happy on January 1st, 2021. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I kind of asked the question about the holidays because I know if you lost your family or you lost a loved one and then it's like the days where everyone's together and you're not, or you see the, on the Hallmark channel, all these beautiful stories and your life isn't turning out like that. It's, it's almost like the social media thing. You're kind of comparing yourself to others. Right. And when you don't have a present to give somebody to, um, that's tough. That's yeah. just to be completely honest here. Last year was the first time uh, going home to New York for Christmas where my parents were separated and being 37, 36 years of my life, I knew something completely different. So that wasn't the easiest thing. That was the first time in my life that I went up to New York for Christmas to stay out of my family. And within a day or two, I wanted to come back home and that sucked. So I'm just kind of saying this to relate to, you know, the people listening out there, you're definitely not alone. Um, I don't think anybody's life is a movie. So, <laughs> you know. And thank you for being honest and, and vulnerable and sharing that. Definitely people, you know, need to hear too, even just, you know, reaction. I wasn't okay with it. It was weird, you know, yeah. and, and it was hard, right? Yeah. Is I would, if, if somebody was saying that it was easy, I, I would be more questionable, you know, about that than if they said, Hey, this really, this really bothered me. Yeah. It's, um, it's like comparing and contrasting from previous years and now things are different. It's just the way it is. Um, I think life is full of adjustments. The better you can adjust, the better off you're equipped to handle things. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, we've kind of gotten, depressing here on an episode about depression. I don't want to, I don't want to keep going down that road, but like, I know I brought it up before this, the pursuit of happiness. One of the reasons I did create this, I created this for many reasons is one of them is because I really just wanted to put a bunch of positive energy into something like this, rather than think about COVID family mm -hmm. problems, like all this stuff that you can literally spend your time spinning your wheels on feeling terrible and I feel like I'll put a lot of my energy and efforts into something a little more creative with a more positive outcome. And I feel like this episode, what, as heavy as it can be at times, is the episode that a lot of people can relate to. And if we only had helped one person with this, that's a big deal. Um, yeah. And I get the feeling we're going to be helping a lot more than just one one person. And that's why you do what you do, which is honestly beyond important. Like I said, I don't know how you and people that do what you do sometimes go home at night and just go to sleep and live a normal life. When you hear some of the stuff that's going on in the world and the problems that people deal with. And so I applaud you. Thank you for, yeah. thank you for doing what you do. I'm going to 
continue to talk about this on future episodes. Um, maybe we can even dive into some other subjects at some point in the future. Um, I really appreciate you joining. And I know you said that you're licensed in Arizona and North Dakota. Yes. So for anybody listening in those two states, let's go ahead and tell them how to find you. And even if you're not, you got a cool Instagram, you live in Arizona, a really cool place and everything. So let's go ahead and tell them how to find you. Sure. So you can find me. So my website is empoweringyoutherapy.com. You can find me on Instagram. Even again, aside from being a part of the state, I post a lot of tips, a lot of educational you know, resources, a lot of things as far as mental health on my Instagram, which is empowering you dot therapy. Um, and you know, for those of two that want to give me a call, both my, all my information, where I'm located, my phone number, everything is, um, on Instagram or my website. And I can tell you're a great person to talk to. Obviously we've just been talking for a little over an hour and the calmness in your voice, you are, <laughs> very trained to do this. You are somebody I clearly feel comfortable in talking to. Um, and I think that says a lot. Do you have any tips or advice for people in the other like 48 states or anywhere around the world and how to pick out a therapist that might be right for them? Yes. I love this question. So, um, there are so many resources, um, online, or if it is somebody that you or somebody, you know, there's, you know, suicidal hotlines, there are always people 24 seven available to talk to even if it's just to talk. As far as finding a therapist, um, you know, good questions to ask yourself are, of course, you know, do I want them to take my insurance? Do I want them to be private pay? Um, you know, some therapists take insurance, not, uh, not all of them do. So looking at that. Um, the second part of that too would be, if it is somebody um, or something that you're wanting to see, maybe do they specialize in that? That can be that next thing that you can help kind of narrow down your search. Um, psychology today is, is a really big search engine for therapists. So you're able to kind of filter out um, a lot of those things too, as far as insurance specializations. The biggest thing that I'll say um, is incredibly important is if they offer, which I would hope that every single one of them does, a phone consultation, um, whether it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and to really use that to decide, are we going to be a good fit? Any questions that you might have for them, um, kind of get a feel of, you know, would we, would we connect or are they the right fit for me? Or do they have referrals if maybe we're not? So, so much of that can be answered to in that 10 to 15 minute phone consultation. Um, otherwise, I'll say it sometimes it's a little bit like blind dating is, you know, you just kind of hope for the best, but do your research. There are a lot of, um, you know, resources out there to kind of help narrow it down. But the biggest one would be have that phone consultation, ask whatever questions you need to ask. Um, I think there's a lot of um, power that lies in that initial consult. How do you know if someone is not a good fit? Is there any telltale signs you're like, eh, this isn't gonna work for me? Yeah, I would say um, if it is a somebody that maybe I wouldn't necessarily specialize in, personally, I don't deal with a lot, a lot of um, addiction because um, I think that is the initial thing that probably needs to be focused on you know, before we dive into therapy. So maybe not such a good fit there. Um, and maybe it comes down to diagnoses too. I don't see a mm -hmm. lot of personality disorders. So that would be something where if I didn't feel like we were a good fit, um, thankfully I have a really good network here in Phoenix of, you know, therapists that I would refer them out to. Um, but generally too, maybe if it's not, maybe it's our expectations, you know, generally if somebody only wants to be seen 
one time or, you know, once every three months, I'm open and honest to say, I can't, I can't work with you because in that, in that time frame, you know, with your expectations, we're just not going to get there. Um, so generally with clients it's anywhere from, you know, every week to every other week when they're in the maintenance stage, you know, maybe then we'll move to once a month. So a few different factors fall into that. Can I rely on, not obviously I can rely on you, but can I rely on most therapists in general to kind of tell me, Hey, we're not going to be a good fit here. Can I, is it okay to have that expectation? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it depends too, if you're looking at um, a therapist, you know, is it just themselves? Are they in a solo practice? Are they in a group practice? Generally, if you were to contact somebody, you know, hopefully within that group practice is that one of their therapists would be a good fit. Okay. Um, so that's, that's the, the, the good thing about that too, is um, just, yeah, maybe look at that. Are they solo or are they a part of a group practice? You have a more, more of a chance probably with, with finding somebody fitting if it's okay. a bigger practice. Cause I can, obviously I can tell if someone's a good chef, if I like their food, but I can't tell, <laughs> I can't tell if someone's a good therapist. It's, I don't know how to f- figure that one out. So I will just go ahead and throw in there too. Like if you're fortunate enough to still be working these during these times of COVID, a lot of businesses also offer um, therapists so that you get like free sessions and stuff. I'm fortunate enough to have a position like that. And I've used that in the past. And so look into that, your work might cover it for free. So if you're going to get your eyes checked, you're going to get a physical, then you might as well get your mental health checked too. Cause that might be more important than any of that. And, um, and some places too will offer free or sliding fee. They have a sliding fee scale. So, you know, there are places that will work with people if it's a fine, if it's financials that are holding you back. Yeah. Um, so that's the other thing. Thank you for mentioning that too. For sure. And I feel like, yeah, finances are tough for everyone. So mm-hmm. that is a huge reason that I'm sure people don't go. Um, so that's, you know, thank you for pointing that out. And I guess we can leave them some, with some final words here. I know expectations and stigma were the two big words that I heard throughout this podcast. Um, do you have any, I guess, final words or final advice for somebody who thinks they might be falling into, into something or they're in a bad place right now? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's okay to not be okay. You don't have to have it all together. Um, and it's okay to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And honestly, most of us don't have it together. Yes. You're, you're not alone. Yeah. You know, like I was just a little bit vulnerable here today. Like you would never know from some of my other pictures and podcasts and videos or whatever, but yeah, we're all dealing with shit behind the scenes. And to me, I, that makes me feel a little better knowing that I'm not in this alone. We're in this together. Um, you know, it's just, that makes a world of difference for me. So, um, on that note, let's, let's go ahead and, and, and wrap this up. This is called the pursuit of happiness. And I'm hoping this episode will help people find their happiness and get over that, the hump that they're, they're dealing with. You can find me at the pursuit of happiness podcast on Instagram and, uh, I'll catch you next time on the next episode. 